Welcome back to Unbalanced MN. My name is Miles Bragg, and I am here with Logan Carroll and Sam Richards, and we're here to talk to you about what the fuck is going on with the far right today. <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of it. <laughs> there's almost too much. So let's get started with some news items. First thing, obviously, uh, talking about the inauguration, the National yeah. Guard has been authorized to use lethal force in D.C., Armed fascists were expected to protest. We're recording on the 20th, the day mm-hmm. of the inauguration, it's worth noting. A, a pretty outstanding show of, of military force and national security. What did they remove? 12 uh, National Guards people because of like things that were said in group chat, like yeah. in a signal group text or whatever. There's a lot to be said about insider threats. Well, and couple that with the amount of Capitol Police that are under investigation now for their role in J6, as it's now being referred to as. Well, my fear is that with this um, pretty open call online for people to identify people, and even someone today, I was talking about Minneapolis introducing the facial recognition ban. They were saying, like, I wonder how much facial recognition was used on the insurrectionists. True. And I was like, it was a lot. But mm-hmm. the problem is, once you open the floodgates and you are calling for them to use it, you don't think they're going to use it against Black Lives Matter or Muslims. Right. This is going to be the Patriot Act. Yep, 100%. I mean, and we can see that reflected mm-hmm. back during the uprising in the Twin Cities during the summer after George Floyd's murder. There was this very real threat of white nationalists and white supremacists stoking more chaos or violence or what have you, but the state, in turn, used that that fear, that very real fear that folks were having, and used it to justify their their response, their overly militarized response. And I, I do worry that this vague boogeyman of white nationalism does open up the, the justification for further repression of social movements on the left. Mm-hmm. I, I put up that tweet about how Minneapolis is going to potentially ban facial recognition and you can read the bill language and it's up for vote. And one of the first comments was uh, someone saying, like, well, I wonder how much facial recognition helped identify the capital attackers. Yeah. And I was like, it did. Yeah. That's not the point. <laughs> right. It's going to be used against you and me. And if they're using clear, clear view AI specifically, which they admitted they are, that includes all of our pictures. It literally scrapes the entire Internet with, like, a web crawler, kind of like Google. It takes in your and mine and anybody's picture online in, in the database, and then it uses that to compare against like suspected criminals or whatever. But facial recognition is inherently not functional, and it shouldn't be deployed against anyone other than like a white male. In Detroit, 97% of the hits were mismatches from the Detroit police, Whoa. and they used it exclusively on, almost exclusively on black people, but people of color. Wow. Yeah. So there are people calling for that. And openly just saying, like, I'm fine with me being swept up in that if it helps find these people. I've heard some wild stuff about Clearview. It's like, it, literally the UI is just like, it's like Google. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you type in someone's name and then you get 
all the social media profiles, you get addresses, you get LinkedIn profiles, if there are any of their presence online is essentially hoovered up mm-hmm. pretty efficiently and effectively. Right. Yep. And yeah. even Sheriff Stanek, who thank God is not the sheriff anymore, uh-huh. he, uh, without it being approved by anybody other than himself and probably the BCA, he was taking driver's license photos and lumping that into the database. Mm-hmm. So the plan eventually, and he <laughs> probably would have implemented this if he won another term. They wanted to have real-time facial recognition, mm-hmm. and it would have matched against people from places like the driver's license database. So mugshots in that as well as people that have never had a run-in with you know the authorities or anything. So you know I write for Sahan Journal, and the background on this is that the FBI had some threats against capital that boogaloo boys were talking about blowing up a building and other shit so i talked to uh representative kaylee her esther egbaje who's the other oh hoden hassan mm-hmm. so i called all these legislators of color and asked like how they are handling the situation and what they had to say was we have been told to con- contact our local law enforcement for security Wow. And we do not feel comfortable contacting our local law enforcement. We do not trust them. 100%. I mean, it's like... The fucking MPD tweeted against Ilhan Omar, what, with a week left in that election? Saying they were investigating her campaign for ballot harvesting? Yeah, totally fraudulent garbage. That was proven wrong within 24 hours. That's insane. Was it last month? Um, uh, A St. Paul Police Department officer got... uh, busted for having a three percenter sticker on his truck yeah. off duty but mm-hmm. still like th- th- those are the people threatening the capital <laughs> yeah exactly and the other thing i think about the other thing that they said was bob kroll and his involvement with like cops for trump and speaking at the trump rally and they, they, they specifically cited that as like yeah those are the people threatening us <laughs> yeah, they don't want to like, protect shit like like i mean and ah uh, Fuck, man, like, Sam, you're a journalist. Like, I don't know how you feel about this, but, like, especially being in, like, Jay's school, I, like, got it, like, hammered into me. Like, I had a professor, like, tell me, like, you shouldn't even vote because you have to avoid the appearance of, like, conflict mm-hmm. of interest. And then just see, like, shit, like, Jesus Bob. Christ. Yeah, I mean, that's its own that's thing. That's bad but, advice. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but, um, but then to see, like, Bob fucking Kroll, like, speaking yeah. at a Trump rally, like, the, the violation of the public trust there mm-hmm. to, like, take that strong of a stance against something like i don't like what 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 the fuck did the cops think was gonna happen like of course people weren't gonna trust them it's like it makes the entire of mpd look like they're right-wing assholes yeah honestly and And i mean when you see that that coupled with the fact that i mean over years there's been different studies i think cuapp did a study a couple years ago or where they looked at a couple years of data where there was like over a thousand instances of p- police brutality or something like that in like a, a year or two window. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was even higher than that. I might be misquoting, but like the the, the percentage of discipline of those offer, officers in those cases were le- was less than a percent. And it, it was a, a thousand to two thousand cases and with a less than a percent of them being disciplined. Yeah. So we know this culture of impunity or unaccountability is just rife in this city. Uh, the cops just get away with fucking everything. It's been the center of national media mm-hmm. <laughs> several times over now. And yeah, I can absolutely see where they're coming from and I empathize with their situation. It's terrible. I think it was Agbaje who told me, like the quote was, we know white nationalists 
are infiltrating local law enforcement, we would be naive to assume it's not happening here. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that's been on record for 12 years now. I think it was in 2009 the FBI put out their own study yeah. where they looked at them, their own ranks and discovered, oh, shit, we're heavily infiltrated by white supremacists. I mean, and you could make the argument that it's probably the same way with other law enforcement agencies, sheriff's associations, um, you know. But this, this conversation that we're having right now leads pretty well into my next news item. Uh, the headline, and I'm getting most of this from It's Going Down and This Week in Fascism. It's a great column that they have, so please go check them out. But the headline is, Report Shows Right-Wing Bias in Policing and Military growing number of cops found to be have taken part in J6. Wow. Researchers from Princeton and the Armed Conflict and Event Data Project have released data collected through the U.S. Crisis Monitor that shows law enforcement officers are three times more likely to use force against leftist protesters than against right-wing protesters. Over the last 10 years, or sorry, 10 months, Police have used pepper spray, tear gas, flash grenades, and beatings at alarming rates towards anti-fascist and anti-racist protesters, especially as compared to the response to right-wing and far-right protesters. I don't know. Sounds like bad. I mean, and it, this isn't a left-wing organization reporting this. You know what I mean? This is fucking science and data. Uh, according to the updated data made public this week, The Guardian compared the percentage of all demonstrations organized by left and right-wing groups that resulted in the use of force by law enforcement. For left-wing demonstrations, this was about 4.7 of protests, while for right-wing demonstrations, it was about 1.4%, meaning law enforcement was about three times more likely to use force against left-wing versus right-wing protests. And I just want to say the left wing and the Black Lives Matter movement and the police abolition movement is making the argument that because of this dynamic exactly is why we need (laughs) reform and uh, creation of a new community defense project and and whatever that looks like, who knows. But, you know, left wingers are not calling for more right or violence on right wing people. On J6, there was this notion that came up, you know, of folks wishing violence against the right wing, or why aren't we having a proportionate response yeah, to yeah. the demonstrations that we had in in D.C. or otherwise across the summer? Um, and I, I just think it's it's foolish to to wish that upon our enemies because it only makes the state stronger against us. And yeah, we got two enemies. <laughs> right. It's yeah. a it's a three way fight. For anti fascists only. Yeah, yeah, right. Like I'm not, not anti fascist. Right. I'm just simply here <laughs> observing as an impartial objective. What if there's a meeting of three or two anti fascists and a third guy walks along? <laughs> um, Donate to patreon.com slash balance <laughs> But um what's the time on that? Uh forty nine minutes. Nine. Fuck. That's fine. Come on, can... let's round it up to an hour and you can okay. chop it down to ten or fifteen. Man, I keep I keep telling myself telling like you. one of these times we're gonna hit we're gonna hit less than forty five minutes and it's just this like This is good. It's good. It's nuanced stuff, I'm yeah. telling you. And uh, who's it? Our supporter? Mm-hmm. He deserves an extra thirty minutes on page. Yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. yeah actually, He's been ask- I mean people have been asking me, I want extra content. Yeah, well, well I mean this this 
extra content we're recording right now is really only for what's his name? I think it's Timothy Phillips. It's Tim. I Timothy apologize. Phillips. It's not, it's one name. <laughs> this is might be a pseudonym. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. This is for you, Timothy. <laughs> Hell yeah, man! Appreciate everyone's support. Appreciate everyone listening. So, yeah. Our last news item uh, from it's going down was fascist organizations receive large Bitcoin donation. Media draws unfounded connection to capital riots. It goes on to say, according to Yahoo News, a simultaneous transfer of about 28.15 Bitcoin, equal to about $522,000 during the time of transaction, was transferred to 22 far-right personalities and organizations on December 8th of 2020. Nick Fuentes is the leader of the Groiper movement, and he received the largest donation amounting to about $250,000. Other recipients included white nationalist website VDare, alt-right Gamergate misogynist Ethan Ralph, fascist-friendly social media platform Gab, white supremacist organization American Renaissance, Holocaust denier Vincent Renard, neo-nazo message board The Daily Stormer, and then lastly Patrick Casey the leader of the white supremacist organization known as American Identity Movement, which was formerly known as Identity Europa. Yeah. Um, the cryptocurrency researchers at Chainalysis write, quote, this multi-recipient donation made December 2020 the single biggest month we've ever observed in terms of cryptocurrency received by addresses associated with domestic extremism. Still, this donation isn't a one-off. The data shows that Domestic extremists have been receiving a steady stream of cr- cryptocurrency donations since 2016. Okay. Checks out, yeah. <laughs> Further to that point, the well, the donation was revealed, or the donor was revealed to be a French computer programmer named Laurent Bachelier. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. Sounded pretty good. Uh, I took French for a couple of years. The cryptocurrency comes from a French exchange and was passed through an intermediary wallet that first became active in 2013, associated with the username Pankake. Through this information, Chainalysis was then able to locate the fascist donor's personal blog. On December 9th, the day after the donation was made, a suicide note appeared on the blog, scheduled to be published immediately after his death, in which Bachelier states that he had taken his own life due to struggles with mental, severe mental illness, chronic illnesses. So there's tons of stuff out there about what this guy was about. And apparently in his suicide note, he recited the 14 words, which is an infamous white supremacist slogan. This is a dynamic that's been taking place pretty consistently in the last five years. The fact that these guys are getting steady streams of money they don't need to rely on traditional fundraising outlets there's actually several accounts on twitter um nazi bitcoin tracker i think is one well the the other thing that like really jumps out at me that i i honestly don't know what to do with is i mean these people are nationalists right it's like this globalist nationalism right you know, it's, I don't know what to do with that, mm-hmm. except to say that, like, it's, it's a nation defined exclusively by race. Right. Yeah. Read white. Right. You know, it's yeah. about if you're fucking white and you're promoting the white genocide theory, you're promoting about white displacement in these different areas, you're talking about Sharia law in a country such as America or something yeah. like that. Uh-huh. 
you're 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 on the the quick list to get probably some of this money you know when you were talking about all that it reminded me of when trump was saying like why can't we get more norwegian immigrants in here right it's like we're only taking people from shithole countries it's like yeah they all agreed with that because they would like to see more white immigration and no any other immigration right what's our what's our timer um yeah just over an hour cool we gotta be done yeah that's that's enough for the news Again, for the first time since the lockdowns, uh, in Miles's wonderful living room, which still has boxes. Um, <laughs> as I was leaving to come here tonight, um, I was literally like walking past my wife at the dining room table, walking out the front door. And she's like, "Oh, look at this!" and hands me her phone that um, Roy Watkins mm. has abandoned the QAnon movement. And who, who is Roy Watkins? <laughs> Thank you for asking. No problem. <laughs> Roy Watkins is the owner of Acorn, according at least to Frederick Brennan, completely controls the QAnon account. He's probably author of several of the Q posts, along with a couple other people, is what the, the best speculation is right now. And controls the account. Right. Whoever's writing it. Yep. This article came out just this afternoon. Um, it's on Forbes. It's titled, We All Got Played. QAnon followers implode after big moment never comes. We all got played, being the quote from Roy Watkins. Yeah, I mean, we were just talking before we got started with all this, and I, I sent these guys the Q posting that's happening on these different message boards. We got played. We got duped. The storm was never coming. Blah, blah, blah. Like, it, None of this was ever going to happen, you know, and they're just so disillusioned and so broken down and beaten. Several of them. Some of them are doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down now. I don't know how many times they've downed now. Well, something we're going to talk about. QAnon is the latest iteration of a centuries-old conspiracy theory. I mean, it's not gone. QAnon might be done, but, like, it might be. Right. (laughs) To get the most out of this episode... You know, we're, we're really trying to do a little bit more than just, like, the simple primer. So for anybody listening, uh, you, you really ought to have, like, a basic level of familiarity with the Q movement. Uh, there's a lot that's been written about it. Uh, I pinned a tweet that has a lot of good resources, including a phenomenal primer by Will Summer. Um, I want to give, like, just, again, super high level really quick. Basically, someone who goes by Q is posting cryptic messages online claiming to have inside knowledge that Donald Trump is, <clears throat> was, waging a covert military operation to take down a cabal of child-murdering drug addict pedophiles who secretly control the global media, politics, and finance. But on to the show.
Now, uh, who are the corrupt elite parasites of the book historically? Well, you know them all. The Jews, the bankers, the Illuminati, the godless secular humanists, Council on Foreign Relations, apparently now transgender people. I don't get it either. And the whole storyline here is that that's how the world works. You know, the government really isn't your government. It's a government of secret elites. Um, okay, so that's a problem. And so down below, now of course people are mad at the secret elites up above who don't really exist. There are elites up above, they're hardly secret, you see them all the time. And they don't have secret meetings where they plot things you don't know about because these meetings all come out as policy and there are fights among the elites so they aren't always on the same page. Let's move on to the lazy, sinful, and subversive parasites, my favorite. So that's Chipotle talking. Uh, in October 2016, just over a year before the birth of the QAnon movement. Uh, but it sounds like he's talking about QAnon because, even though it's alarmingly popular, it's just the latest iteration of conspiratorial right-wing populism. Now, it's easy to dismiss the followers of Q as insane or stupid, uh, but Berlay, who has decades of experience as a journalist covering and a scholar studying right-wing populism, explained why that attitude is a problem. Know, something we can get behind. Now to my allies on the left. There is no, I repeat, there is no social science data that shows that people who join conservative or right-wing movements are any more stupid or crazy than the rest of us. That may be a sad commentary in American society, but there is no social science evidence that these people are stupid and crazy. And when you call conservatives and right-wingers stupid or crazy, you are a bigot, okay? So what else is going on? Well, they have a view of the world based on ideology, frames, and narratives, um, which you disagree with. And you might say, doesn't make any sense. They think the people on the left have an ideology instead of frames and narratives that don't make any sense. Well, what Berlay is talking about is that, and this is really weird to wrap your head around, but that the central tenet of Q, you know, that Donald Trump is leading covert military operations to take down a global cabal of child-murdering Satanists who secretly run the world, now this, this idea is, strictly speaking, rational. Now, what that means is that it is the end result of rational thought processes mm. that are based on certain frames and narratives. It's like those videos of like itsy little dominoes, have you seen that? Like on YouTube, somebody's got like an itsy tiny little, little domino that they set up with like a pair of tweezers, and then you like, you tip it over, and it hits a slightly larger domino, which is a slightly larger domino, and within like six dominoes, you can crush a St. Bernard. Sure. Um, <laughs> it's like that. It's just the crushing the St. Bernard is storming the U.S. Capitol. Yeah. We cannot stress enough how like dangerous and just how plain fucking cuckoo bananas the end result of QAnon is. But it starts with like much smaller and more obviously rational ideas. So I set out somebody who follows Q, Edward, who we'll meet in a minute. Like on one hand, he let me into his house, he made me dinner, he's a good cook, and he's a fun guy to have a beer with. We like talked over beer. Even though he has like no trust in the media, he he like took the time to talk to me, he invited me into his home, and he was very like forthright about what he believes. Um, which I really appreciate. <laughs> On the other hand, <laughs> some of what he believes is fucking cuckoo bananas <laughs> and dangerous. Um, but like, let's not start with the more exotic beliefs, yeah? You're good. <laughs> let's first try to understand that Edward is a person and not a cartoon. You can just say your name whenever you're... Edward you can look me up on Spotify. What do you do on Spotify? Uh, I'm kind of a songwriter. Okay, that sounds kind of cool. 
Uh, Edward, what's, what do you do? Uh, I used to work for the library system. And with COVID, I was a substitute, so they didn't hire me back right away. So I'm about to start a program for psychosynthesis, which is sort of a, a synthesis between like psychotherapy and coaching. Okay. Living off the COVID checks. <laughs> but I'm in this house sitting gig right now, so I really don't need a lot of money at the moment. You were mentioning downstairs that your background is in anthropology. Right. I uh, went to a liberal arts college on the West Coast and studied sociology, anthropology, so... And we are here tonight to talk about Q. Q. So, <laughs> well, when did, you, when did you first learn about Q? I would say like a couple of years ago. I really started researching Q a little bit more on my own just a few months ago. I remember following some people on Facebook or Twitter or something, people who I respected the way that they thought. I had a phase when I was younger in high school where I was into conspiracy theories. Uh, we've all got that for the most part. And yeah. I let it go, but I feel like I've returned to it. Well, well, how would you describe it? Uh, I would describe it as two separate factions, Q and the Anons, right? Uh-huh. And in 2017, this sort of anonymous figure who was ending his post with Q or whatever started posting on 8kun and sort of got a following because he was you know, sharing this sort of shocking information and then speaking in almost military code where uh, the Anons had to take it apart, do their own research to figure out what it exactly meant. It's not necessarily a movement as much as this shared exercise in learning how to discern information and adopt a, a method of critical thinking that is kind of antagonistic to the way that the media encourages us to think. It's kind of unbelievable. Like, like Martin Geddes describes it as basically the most far out communications experiment of all time. Yet nobody's talking about it outside of like the fact that it's like anti-Semitic or like this or that, and they have absolutely no understanding of what's actually going on. So what, what is Q saying? Like, what is his message in these drafts? Like, what do, they, what, what do Anons believe? I find it difficult to almost describe because it feels like a more expansive world than what we're used to. Uh-huh. So we have the media, and there's a certain consensus about what the world happens to look like. Honestly, this whole, like, place that we're standing where there's such a thing as stardom, there's such a thing as celebrity culture, is really just, like, a part of the whole, like pantomime of like servitude that we're in you know it's like it's just this really fucked up culture where we're like celebrity worshiping like you know because that's like part of the world that they're trying to create for us you know that we're looking up at this thing the goal of q is cutting that mediated voice out and seeing the world in its raw form initially i'm not like i don't hate him you know what i mean It, it reminds me of when i was a teenager when i was getting out of high school and like he mentioned getting into conspiracy theories and exploring that world and philadelphia experiment man philadelphia experiment i i got questions about that (laughs) philly was that the they made a stanford it's the ship that that disappeared because they made a because it time time travel did it teleport we don't know okay well (laughs) see that's one that i'm not even in on you're gonna have to pill me on that one later dude i thought you were talking about stanford prison experiment for a minute but like (laughs) i mean that was a real thing that was a real thing (laughs) was it (laughs) 
like you said, I mean, this, this is something we all experiment with as we're coming of age. You know, we, we're trying to grapple with reality and what's what explains how we got here. Yeah, exactly. And there's nothing wrong with questioning the predominant narratives necessarily, but it's when you get to these conclusions. It's the first taste of the frames that underpin the worldview. Yeah. Edward, when we sat down, came prepared with this exercise from one of the people who got him into Q, which illustrates like one of the frames. He read this list of disjointed statements that were things like, a newspaper is better than a magazine. And then he primed me with the word kite and reread the statements. And the second time around, it became very clear that what, what all these statements were referring to was flying kite. You know, it's clear once we have an image of what it's talking about that it all wraps itself around the context, right? Okay. To connect it to the sort of QAnon phenomenon that we're talking about. You know, the world as it exists, the world that we're trying to discern, we don't have an object that we're looking at. And, and the fact is that the world is just a series of things happening all at the same time. I don't know, I think just with reality itself, there's a lack of certainty. And I feel like what Q's sharing in these message boards is like encouraging people to like explore what he's posting, explore ideas, interpret the media without having like something already fixed in our minds about what is correct and what isn't correct. Typically when I read about QAnon, people talk about specific pieces of information. Mm -hmm. QAnon believes in a global satanic child sex trafficking ring. Right. QAnon believes in that um, Donald Trump is battling the deep state. Right. And what you're describing is that it is primarily, like before any of that, it's like a framework. Yeah. Just to quickly say this, like Martin Gedge, the guy I referred to before, said these are the four main purposes of Q in his perspective. He said, Q is a multi-year process to disclose secret illegal government activity. Q is a prophylactic against civil war and vigilante activity. Q is a training program in discernment and logical thinking. And Q is an information weapon about institutionalized crime and corrupted media. And we can look at the third one first, but I'm sure we'll get back to the other ones, which was Q is a training program in discernment and logical thinking. And it's literally like an exercise, like taking the context away from it, taking the context of, you know, what you said before about like a global elite and so on. It's ultimately like showing people that, you know, you can take this information that's really kind of difficult to discern from the get-go and take it and dissect it in a way where it ends up making sense when you you know, link it to one another, when you link it to information that's available online, you know, oftentimes Q will link to, you know, people's Twitter profiles, or Q will link to websites, or videos, music videos, just a number of things, like, it's really limitless. You know, I haven't delved too deeply into doing the research myself, because I don't feel like I have the energy or time for that, but there are people who clearly do, and they'll use the, um, you know, there's like an ancient Hebrew alphabet where you like, you know, basically use numerology. You take, uh, you take numbers and you turn them into letters or vice versa. And they'll come up like, with like words or numbers that are like mixed into these messages. And it's like, it's like a giant puzzle the way it pieces itself together. And it's not like a giant puzzle that says this is what's happening or this was what's happening or this is what's happening. But it's simply just framing a picture. Mm -hmm. I feel like the picture that people are sort of putting together from 
the practice that they get from interpreting um, what Q's sharing is a world far more fantastical than the media leads us to believe. The parable of the elephant, have you heard that before? Uh, yeah, the, the blind men. The blind men and the elephant, right? Yeah. And, you know, they're all experiencing a different part of the elephants. You know, individually, like, you know, they have all these fantastical ideas about what they're touching, but in reality it's a big elephant and they're all touching a different part of him. What, what you're talking about is <laughs> collectively constructing reality. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good way of putting it. It's like con collectively constructing a reality that's basically been hidden from us for so long, that's basically been interpreted by the media, and it's actually taking, you know, taking our own tools of critical thinking to crowdsource reality and to put reality together in a way that's been Holy shit. disallowed for so long. I kind of can't believe he's saying that. I mean, it's, right? it really is. It's like... He's just going there. And I I appreciate how forthright he was. Right. right. Well, I mean, it's so it's like a. I I don't know how to say this in a way that doesn't sound like a dick. Say it. Oh no, I have a, I have a little note here to like um, talk to Miles and Sam, encourage them to be dicks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no problem. <laughs> it sounds like this guy drinks nothing but espresso drinks. <laughs> Don't argue against me on that one. No, I'm kidding. I'm, try I'm trying to be charitable. I just, I, I, it's fascinating to me, m more so than anything, because it, it, it's, it's watching a fundamentalist think, yeah. you know, and rationalize their worldview. So, in, in terms of the esoteric framework, spiritual side of the conversation about you, um, quite frankly, we've hit my limit, considering okay. that I'm, you know, beer and a half in. Yeah, that's fine. Um, <laughs> Now, what about the political side? You said that you were a Sanders supporter in 2015. Why did you support Bernie? What made you jump to Team Trump, to the, the Trump, Trump train? The Trump train, right. Yeah. I was raised by uh, two incredibly liberal, progressive individuals. Republicans were very much the outsider. Um, you know, I was going door-to-door -door for Bernie Sanders in 2015, Bernie's campaign was essentially sabotaged by the DNC and I was living in San Francisco at the time that Trump won and I remember walking home from work uh, getting on the metro and just this feeling of like desolation in the air this feeling of this feeling of just like sort of silent chaos and I hadn't experienced it before and this was in the air around you, or you were feeling this? This like was the air around me. Yourself. No, the air around me. I was like okay. kind of laughing a little bit, <laughs> you know, because I didn't really have much of a position. I hated Hillary Clinton. I didn't know much nihilistic. about Trump. <laughs> well, I don't know. Like, it's like if if your solution on side A and your solution on side B, like neither of them is are really like, you know, constructive to going towards the future, then you know what side are you supposed to take? And that's how I felt in two thousand sixteen. You know, Trump felt like a bull in a china shop, and Hillary Clinton thought like... The, the china shop. <laughs> yeah, felt like the china shop, I suppose. And that made me start questioning things, because I felt like I was seeing something in a lens that nobody else could, and I didn't really understand why. Yeah, so I guess just, you know, I started listening to more conservative voices over the few years after that. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing was... Being at university in like 2014, 2015, and seeing how ridiculous and backwards a lot of the beliefs of my peers were, 
like the social justice movement feeling like I just couldn't get on board with that like it was just so outrageous a lot of these things that people were saying and there were such generalizations about how the world was at first I didn't say anything at all and they would criticize me for that because I wasn't like you know advocating for whatever the hell they were like you know on the steps protesting about mm-hmm. there was this sense of cult-like following that they all seemed to have where it was like you're either on our side or the enemy everybody's eyes were glazed over as they were repeating the mantra on the steps of uh, Jones Hall or whatever. What mantra? Uh, fine, in that case it was, you know, we want to create a safe space for people and the next president of the university has to be African American. And it just felt so dissociated. It felt so dissociated and they were like using like Marxist rhetoric to justify why that was right. And I didn't say anything about it. I was working at this coffee shop and I would get dirty looks from some of the folks because I didn't speak out about it. Uh, and eventually I started like actually coming up with some contrarian opinions to that and realizing that there wasn't really a place for me on the left. In the last few years, you know, that perspective that I have on the social justice movement hasn't changed. You know, I feel like people are just as brainwashed as they were back then. You know, it might be grounded in a sense of goodness, but just the way about it just isn't right. The way about doing it just isn't it's right. It's not right. Oh, cry me a fucking river. It just, it blows my mind. The guy, it, I mean, it's whiteness, it's male privilege, yeah. it's never having to experience these viewpoints uh, in a personal or interpersonal capacity, and it's that that's the most evident thing that's jumping out at me. Right now, when he says that, this is one of the things that kind of annoys me. That like how simplistic his view of the left is. Yeah, it's like I mean, it's not the people on the left he knew. Like he was very respectful of me. He has a lot of admiration and respect and appreciation for his girlfriend, who's very lefty. But like, like here I am. Here we are. Like trying to hold some like nuance and like empathy for a worldview that centers a conspiracy about a global satanic pedophile child murder ring. Right. And he's, like, writing off the entire social justice movement right. as cult-like <laughs> exactly. because he knew some, like, asshole college Democrats. On the subject of the global satanic pedophile ring, we have now reached the point where the middle-of-the-road conservatism, media critiques, and frustration with potentially zealous 20-year-olds, like, somehow spontaneously mutates into QAnon. Mm-hmm. The whole phenomenon with Donald Trump right now isn't just another politician. You know, this is this is somebody who's a figurehead for this whole military operation to basically take the country back from um, this poison of establishment. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's what QAnon's sort of implying, and we kind of skirted around that when we were talking before. But it's not Donald Trump versus the person on the left. It's not about left and right anymore. It's about the authoritarianism of conventional politics and social media barons and Hollywood and all these figures together, global banking cabal. Then this institution of people who want to take it on and destroy it. Uh-huh. Describe to me this cabal. Like, who are they? What do they want? How are they doing it? Well, some people believe it has to do with family lines. You know, like Rothschilds, uh, Rockefellers, you know, these um, family lines that have existed like historically for centuries. Who's running it is kind of a difficult question. I think it just requires the ability to kind of connect it yourself. 
Right, but I'm, I'm, I'm asking, like, you, who are the names you'd say? <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> Sorry to like, the, like the Clintons? I don't know. Okay. And, like, the Bushes and, like, you know, all the people who sort of work on their, like, you know, work on their teams. And honestly, a lot of people in Congress, a lot of people in the Senate, a lot of people in Hollywood. So there's this cabal manipulating finance, manipulating politics, manipulating media. Okay. But, like, to what end? So well, they what, can have hap- sex and drugs and money? What's or- happening right now in the world? What I observe over the next couple of years are countries putting forward um, the requirement of vaccine passports in order to travel. Uh, this whole vision of the Great Reset, which would put us at the teeth of the government. We would be indebted to the money that they give us, you know, in order to survive. You know, essentially, like, past the drug, sex, and rock and roll, it seems like what they've been trying to construct for the last 100 years is a society where uh, we're completely distanced from the natural world, reliant on something to interpret life for us. Why? Uh, evil, man. It's like just pure evil. That's a little simplistic for a motive, though, right? I don't know. One of the one of the, I guess, sort of tangible pieces of the um, whole conversation around QAnon is like you know what's going on in these upper echelons of society, which is, you know, the desecration of children. And what's the desecration of children? Th- there's the idea of adrenochrome. When you frighten these children and then you, you, you kill them and you take a part of their brain, from what people discern and even personal experience of people who have basically been present during a lot of these rituals in Hollywood or, you know, in like a banking community or whatever, it's like people are trading children and then using them to create this drug that gets them high and they become addicted to. Mm. We're sitting in a dark room with a soft, warm light over here and your tablet is down there casting up this really harsh white light mm-hmm. from below and you're talking about probably the most sinister sat- thing a person could possibly yeah, talk like about the satanic harvesting of children right um <laughs> it's it's very evocative right first off did you notice the first name edward said when i pressed them on who the cabal was hillary the rothschilds oh yeah who had been the subject of anti-semitic conspiracy theories for centuries um, then there's the blood libel, which you have mentioned, the centuries-old anti-Semitic canard that Jews sacrifice children. Uh, many motives have been purported, but one of the more common is that it's a simply an act to, like, they're just harvesting blood, um, which bears more than a passing resemblance to the adrenochrome harvesting nonsense. Um, the use of the word cabal is also interesting. Um, it certainly has been used for many conspiracy theories beyond anti-Semitic ones, but it calls to mind the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, uh, which is a centuries-old, intensely anti-Semitic book that purports to be the minutes of a cabal of Jewish leaders plotting to conquer the world and establish a shadow government by controlling finance and media. And was created as an act of propaganda by the Russian Tsar. So, invented from whole cloth, and no, persists. Forged from other sources. Well, yeah, there you Combined go. Combined from like half a dozen other sources. Kind of like QAnon. Bunch of bullshit yeah. thrown together yeah. to make a nebulous. That's a very good point. Do you remember the thing when you talked about celebrity culture being a pantomime of servitude? Uh-huh. Well, here's a line from the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Oh. Quote 
We further distract them with amusements, games, pastimes. These interests will finally distract their minds from questions in which we should find ourselves opposed to them. End quote. Or, <laughs> do you remember his vague complaint that liberals' hearts were in the right place, but they aren't right? So this is the protocols again. Quote, the part played by the liberals, utopian dreamers, will be finally played out when our government is acknowledged. End quote. Or his critiques of media and science. This is again from the protocols. We are constantly, by means of our press, arousing a blind confidence in these scientific theories. End quote. He's not saying bad things about Jewish people. I mean, it's except like the Rothschilds. Enrique Cario. Yeah. Proud Boys chairman's Hispanic. Right? Like, that's a weird dynamic. Yeah. That, like, he's what part not specifically? Hispanic. But his beliefs are. <laughs> when, when you describe to me this cabal that is engaged in the most horrific acts of violence and degradation imaginable, were that to be true, that would justify a profoundly violent reaction. Mm -hmm. Clearly, a lot of the people on the right are armed. You know, tomorrow there could be a lot of violence on the street if they all decided simultaneously to take action. One of the functions of the QAnon phenomenon is to reassure the public that all we have to do is trust the plan. You know, no one needs to take up arms and sculpt militia groups or commit these acts of violence that you're talking about. But it's been years now. Right. So this is October 28th, 2017, and this is the Q drop. Mm -hmm. HRC, Hillary Rodden Clinton, extradition already in motion, effective yesterday with several countries in case of cross-border run. Again, Q drop. July 2018, the month the world discovers the truth. Conspiracy no more. Time to feed. Q. August 2018, something big is about to drop. Q. Maybe it was before we started recording, but you said one of the things you admire about yourself is that you can separate feelings from logical thinking. So put yourself in the position of somebody who doesn't believe Q. Yeah. There's already this concern that it could lead to violence. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying is what's stopping that is the belief that something will happen in the future. So, so for those of us outside it, push yourself in our seats. As things continue to not come to pass, and the cabal continues to not be indicted or arrested, at what point do the average people take it upon themselves? You know, I'm not... I don't think I'm qualified to say how the average person feels. What I said before, I feel like that part of the intent of what the QAnon phenomenon is. Whether it's successful or not, you know, who's to say? Life goes on. A lot of the people, they're not necessarily responding to the fact that there's this hypothetical cabal that's committing these like treasonous crimes and supposedly on the, on the surface not getting in trouble for it. But the thing that agitates, I think, a lot of people is the hypocrisy. The amount of everyday violence being committed by groups seemingly on the left and not getting in trouble for it. 
the amount of action taking place over the last year of people congregating in protest, seemingly on the left, and not getting reprimanded for it. You don't have to qualify your statements. I won't get offended. I'm, I'm, I'm letting you be anonymous. Speak freely. You know, so a lot of these people, you know, these seemingly conservative people see people protesting on the streets and committing everyday violence and not getting reprimanded for it. And then when they do it themselves, the Proud Boys or whatever, like, no one's going to deny that they've committed violence. Yet the amount of everyday violence committed by groups on the left is uh, occurring at such a higher level. It seems like people on the right commit more extreme acts of violence, yet people on the left are perpetuating it to a more dense degree. I think that's the thing that's going to trigger people to respond. I don't think it's anything related to Q. Um, but you do think people would be triggered to violence? I can't say yes or no, but if they are, I don't blame them. They're mistreated. You know, they're called deplorables. Like, honestly, as somebody... That was one comment four years ago, though. Right, but it's repeated like by so many different politicians in different language. That's what people get pissed out, off about. You know, they don't get pissed off about some prophecy not coming true or whatever. Like, I, I don't condone violence, but I don't really blame a lot of these people for responding to what's going on because they're being put in a really shitty situation and they're having rights taken away from them. Like, for example, like, we don't need to talk about what's going on with COVID, but it's exactly what President Trump said. At the end of it all, right? Q. Believe in this global see things, and that just like how evil that is justifies what they do, right? And then you push him on that, and then he says, Well, it's not really that, it's the left, right? Exactly. Uh, the first thing he said to me was, QAnon isn't about left versus right anymore, and yet when you get down to the core of it, that's all it's about, yeah, 100%. And I have to say, too, that, you know, if the world was a completely transparent and honest place, there wouldn't be any need for something as ridiculous as QAnon. But the fact is that the world's full of mystery and QAnon exists and you can completely discredit, discredit it or you can look at it with some sense of interest where you're like, what the hell is this? And most people do the first, not the second. The fact is, like half the country believes one thing and it seems like half the country believes the other and you know reconciliation is is necessary like a reconnection of these facets I don't know man like that sounds like a Mary Kate and Ashley movie right there I'm sorry I'm sorry <laughs> whatever <laughs> where'd you get that <laughs> ridiculous and i used to love mary kate and ashley they're just like there was a couple good ones movies. there was a couple good ones double double toil and trouble yes, yes. Oh, those, oh my god those little witches outfits holy so adorable. fuck that was a trippy movie as a kid it's amazing and i really do appreciate that he sat down and spent some time with you and shared his, his views because it does help me understand it better um you're <laughs> right I mean, as sick and fucked up as it still is, because... And again. I, I want to talk to people on that side at this level. Yeah. I don't know if this is some kind of, like, 
really going into the far field kind of hypothesis, but it does kind of feel like a mental illness in a way, and that seems a little bit like a cop-out. But if, if these people are only fed a certain type of information for, I mean, it doesn't even appear to have to be that long of a period of time, but like one source of information and one worldview, you all of a sudden are at this jumping off point. That's... I don't yeah. know how to explain it because that doesn't seem to be someone living in a real world. Tiny dominoes, man. Yeah, tiny domino. like to throw out a challenge to any Nazi or any (laughs) fascist listening to this program to get in touch with our program to debate us on air. Come on down for a rumble. (laughs) Should I do like a thank you for listening to Unbalanced MN. You've joined us. Logan, Carol, Miles, Bragg, and Sam Richards for another week. Give us money. No, just kidding. We need small tokens of gratitude from many listeners. So please head to Patreon.com. Or from George Soros, if he's listening. Yes, I'm still waiting for my George Soros check. Take money from anywhere. We appreciate you listening. And good night. Follow us on Twitter at unbalanced underscore MN. Bumper music this week was Black Tears by Miss Derringer and Social Capital by Glad Rags. Both are licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, Creative Commons license and available at freemusicarchive.org. And as always, our theme song is I'm With Cupid by Dan Carroll with Wesley Mitchell on drums. 